0: Shalom, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as we always say, the secret of Yahuwah is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. As usual, we also want to give praises to the Most High, Yahuwah and his son, Yahushua, who died on the cross to take away our sins. I'm Boyce, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we want to say shalom. So, do you have your Bibles ready? Are you ready to get into studying the Word? We hope so. So now I turn it over to the pastor.
1: Okay, thank you very much. What we want to do is continue uh, where we left off. and We were trying to show that when Adam had partaken of the forbidden, and it polluted his blood, and as we deal with the blood covenant, that it caused a number of separations uh, when I sin, and we want to look at some of those uh, separations that took place. Now, we want to turn to the book of Isaiah, And in the book of Isaiah, we want to look at Isaiah chapter 59, and in Isaiah chapter 59, we want to consider verse 2, and here it reads in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, it says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your Elohim, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So what we're looking at here is one of the effects of sin is that it causes separation. He says, your iniquities have separated between you and your Elohim, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So when we look at man after he sinned, uh, there were a number of separations that took place, and we want to see what happened uh, concerning those separations uh, and take a, a, a look, an uh, introspective, introspective look at the separations that had taken place. So the title of this particular discourse would be The Alienation Associations. The Alienation Associations. In this part of our study, we'll refer to as the alienation associations. There are six basic ones we may consider, and of these six, we'll try to look into them briefly and see uh, what the separations uh, encounter as man separated himself by transgression now what we want to observe is what happened when our first parents breached the covenant elohim gave to them when they severed their coveted relationship with their creator the resulting six separations resulted. now the first separation we engage uh, we'll entitle it the Anointed Alienational Association. The Anointed Alienation Association. So when we look at this particular uh, association of the anointed, then we'll be dealing with the divine creator. So the Anointed Alien, Alienational Association, association. In this anointed alienation, what we observe is that man's spiritual connection with his creator was was severed. He no longer had an affinity with his creator as he did prior to him eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The anointing of Adam and his wife possessed prior to sin was that they were aglow with the halo of light which came from being in their Creator's presence. When they departed from doing what they should, such a glory which enshrouded their being dissipated, and they stood naked without their Creator coverings of holy light. Their transgression caused a division between them and their maker, and when this separation took place, divinity and humanity could no longer endure the presence of one another. Transgressions created such an impasse for man to be able to have access to his creator only by a mediator. When we consider that the anointing of our first parents was lost due to disobedience, it would now take more than obedience on their part in order to reunite to him. Such a reunion could only be made possible by the eradication of both the current and the past iniquities, even if they would Be obedient to all of Elohim's requirements after partaking of the forbidden, still, their past transgressions would have to be atoned for. They could not atone for themselves because of their life of transgression. Only a perfect life, void of any taint of impurity, could atone for the fallen race. Now that Adam and Eve had forfeited their anointing, let us now take an introspective look into what it means to be alienated from the anointing of Yehoah. When our first parents were alienated from the anointing of their creator and maker, this meant that they could no longer be sanctified by him. Elohim can only sanctify That which is accepted, affirmed, anointed, and approved by him. When something is sinful, Elohim will not sin, for he, he, he will not sin his spirit upon it. Therefore, since the father and mother of the human race sin, he could no longer bestow upon them his spirit, for if he would, put his spirit upon anything or any anyone who is sinful, it would be as if he were condoning sin. Sin brings about non-acceptance, non-affirmation, non-anointing, and non-approval. Elohim hates sin with a perfect hatred. When our first parents severed their relationship to their anointing, There was, their life was no longer righteous, pure, and holy. It was now unrighteous, impure, and unholy. Once the life of a person becomes sinful, since the life is in the blood, the blood becomes sinful. And if one's blood is sinful, then what is needed to atone for man? is some sinless blood which would proceed, which would produce a sinless life. So when we look at the breach of the covenant by Adam and Eve, it contaminated the blood, and so that meant that their lives were no longer pure and innocent. And so what they needed was some more blood because they were now separated from the one who had created them and that bond of affection that held them together was no longer there so when we look at the alienations from his creator they produce a number of alien nations so in addition to the the anointed alienation we have the other uh, uh, alienation, which is the anth- anthropological alienational association, the anth- anthropological alienational association. So when we look, when the when the holy couple partook of the forbidden, there were some changes which took place within them. So when we talk about the anthropological, we are talking about. We're talking about man. So let us now examine these concerns. The first change we'll concern ourselves with is the ademic changes. When we speak about the ademic changes, they have to do with Adam. The name Adam means man, and our word anthropological. Comes from anthropology. Anthropology, properly understood, deals with the science of man. When we engage in the study of man, we must also deal with his fall from glory. When Adam and his wife lost their innocence, not only did it affect their relationship to their maker, but it also affected their person. As we examine the nature of man after his fall from grace, his entire being was affected. As we view a person's nature, there are three areas of one's life that was affected, namely the physical, the spiritual, and the mental. Let us consider these respective areas of the life of our first parents and how it also affected it also affects us today. When Adam and Eve made a breach in their covenant relationship with their creator and maker, it not only alienated them from him, but it brought about an alien nation in all three areas of their being we would refer to these alien nations as the human dichotomies. And as we look at the uh, first one, we'll concern ourselves with is the physical alienation, which we'll call the physical dichotomy. Now let us look at the physical dichotomy. The physical dichotomy Of man experienced in the physical, psychological, in the physical, in the physiological uh, dichotomy, man experiences a division within his physical nature when sin entered into his being. Now let's turn to uh, Genesis, and in Genesis chapter two. We want to read in verse number seven, Genesis 2 7. The Bible says, And Yehoah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So in Genesis 2 7, we are told exactly what the physical elements of man, of what Adam was made namely of which was the dust of the ground. All of the components of the earth composes the physical nature of Adam. In his being are found all the elements which were sanctified by the spirit and the water. Now that the soil of the soul of man has become inundated with transgression it is no longer holy, innocent and pure. Prior to transgression, the physical existence of man was capable of existing eternally in a a body of flesh. And when we speak about man, we speak about man in a generic sense to mean both the man and the woman, the male and the female. So after transgression, The nature of his physical existence was altered. When they breached the covenant of promise made with them by their creator maker, they were introduced to the curse, to the curses of the covenant. For the woman in childbearing, she would bring forth children in grief. For the man, his strength would be abated, and he would. Began to deteriorate and die. While these curses were pronounced upon Adam, yet Eve would also experience a decline in strength and a degeneration which would lead to death. Some of the physical effects of breaking covenant with Elohim would be experiencing sorrow having less strength, and eventually returning back to the dust of the earth. Now, apparently, when the Creator formed them, no doubt their blood was made from the soil as well. When when we study Adam's name, we see that the majority of the letters of his name spells blood. The Hebrew word for blood is dom. And simply by placing the prefix a on dom, we get our word adam. And if we take that a off of adam, we have dom, which is blood. I I would imagine that if, the majority of the letters in his name spelled out the word blood, I would certainly think that blood was to be very dominant in the nature of man. In such a scenario as this, we, could, we, we couldn't we could but draw the conclusion that man's blood was also made from the soil of the earth as were the other physical components of his body. Therefore, at death, blood would also return to the dust of the earth because this blood is sinful. The substance of it comes from what, what the soil was made out of. So when we look at the soil and the blood of man, they would be composed of the same elements. The blood was to be the component in the human body to house the principle of life given to it by the creator. In order for the breath of the creator to again sanction his principle of life to enter into the blood of man, To sanctify him, there must be presented to Elohim some sanctified soil to make some sanctified blood. The question remains, how do we again get sanctified soil to make sanctified blood? So within the dichotomy of the physical nature of man, we have the following uh, dualities which now exists in the nature of man that weren't in him prior to transgression. Sin produced a dual nature in man's physical being. He now has in him the very thing Elohim warned him of, which was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if he ate, he would die. In the same day he ate. Now notice what it says in Genesis chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 17, Genesis 2, 17. It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So that which was transferred to his nature, which was good and evil. Now, when we examine man's nature after sin, we can see the dual effects which took place within him. He now has good and evil, of which they respectively carry a set of dynamics of their own. Now, under the dynamics of good, we have obedience, righteousness, joy, strength, love, health, replenish, harmony, being able to rehabilitate, and life. Under the dynamics of evil, we have disobedience, sinfulness, sorrow, weakness, hatred. Sickness, deterioration, discord, debilitate, or debilitation, and death. So, what we see here, man lives in that particular dichotomy. In this physical dichotomy of good and evil within the nature of man, we now have a being reflecting in his nature that which he ate. He ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And by doing so, he now portrays in his life good and evil. We are what we eat. What did they eat? Well, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's what their nature reflects. Before there was evil, there was was good. We are told from scripture that After Elohim had completed his work of creation, he pronounced it very good. When sin was introduced into the being of the first holy couple, their life was defiled, which meant that what entered into their being to make the blood was defiled. Therefore, this defilement, which contaminated the blood, in turn polluted the life which was housed in the blood. Consequently, when we examine the makeup of man's physical being, it is a mixture of good and evil. The spirit or the breath of life which comes from our crea- creator is good, and the blood or the soil which comes from Mother Earth is evil. In order for man to be redeemed. He has to have pure, innocent, and holy blood, which comes from a pure, innocent, and Holy Spirit. So, when we look at man, uh, when he transgressed, he experienced the anointed alienational association from his creator, and then he experienced. The anthropological alienational association in his own physical being. But the other part of man's physical being was his spiritual nature. And when we see here in Genesis 2 7, it says, He said, and Yehoah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here we see that after he had formed man, his organs and his blood and everything, the Bible says he breathed into man the breath of life. So when, so, so the next thing we are dealing with of the dichotomy, as we pointed out, man has three parts to his to his nature, and that's the physical the spiritual and the psychological, but now we own the spiritual and we refer to the spiritual as the pneumatical dichotomy. Pneumos mean a spirit. And so when we talk about the pneumatical dichotomy, we are concerned ourselves with the pneumatical uh, or the spiritual things of man's nature. We are observing how the spirit of man is alienated from the spirit of Yehoah. When Elohim breathed his breath into Adam to make him a living soul, Adam at this point in creation became an extension of his creator maker. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma or pneumos, of which we coined our word pneumatical. However, in the Hebrew, our word for spirit is ruach. As we pointed out, the nature of man has basically three components, namely the physical, spiritual, and the mental. What we will be observing about the pneumatical component of man, of man's being, is that we will be looking at two dynamics of his being of these two dynamics one proceeds from the other or should we say simultaneously both of them are one but we observe their components separately the two components of the spirit are the life and the man we will concentrate first on the life of the spirit and then on the man of the spirit. Now, the first component of the pneumatical we'll study will be the portion of life and how it was alienated in man. We will refer to this section as the zoological dichotomy. Now, when we talk about the zoological dichotomy, our Hebrew word for life comes from the word <clears throat> chayam, c h a i y a m, chayam. Chayam is the plural word for life, and the singular word would be chai, c h i chai. The reason why Adam and his wife Eve, the reason why Adam named his wife Eve is because he stated that because she was the mother of all living. And so when we look at Genesis 3 and verse 20, it tells us the reason why he named her that. It says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The word living comes from the word "kai," which is C-H-A-I, which could be translated as living or alive or lively. Eve was named as the person who would be responsible for all living beings upon this earth. Where did this life of which Eve would pass on to the human family come from? Let us now examine this question as to the origin of life. When we examine the physiological dichotomy, we discovered that life was housed in the blood. However, we also asked the question, where was life before it was in the blood? We read in the latter part of Genesis 2-7 that the life was found in the breath of Elohim. By the fact that Elohim's breath or Elohim breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man, it is evident that prior to the breath being breathed into his nostrils, there wasn't any life in him. Upon the breath of YAH entering into the being of Adam and uniting with his blood, man became a living soul. In Elohim's breath is the life. At this juxtaposition, we ask ourselves two other questions. First, are the breath and the life Two different components, or secondly, are they one and the same? So, as we look at this question, is the breath of life and and the uh, and uh, are the breath is the breath and the life are they two separate things? Is the breath one thing and life another, or is the breath and life one and the same. If we say there are two different components, then we would have to base this concept upon the idea that if it is the breath of life, it would mean that life is derived from Yah's breath. Therefore, his breath contains life. On the other hand, if we say they are one and the same, this presupposes that the breath of life is as such, because Elohim's breath is life. Therefore, if we draw the conclusion that breath and life aren't separate entities and that they are and that, and, and that they are one and the same, then when we have breath, we have life, and when we have life, we have breath. If the breath of life is one entity all by itself, this would mean that it couldn't be broken down into any more components. If that is so, then the breath of life is a basic component. So if the breath of life cannot be broken down or separated into any more parts, this makes it a basic fundamental element which would be of a primordial existence as we consider the primordial element of the breath of life being that which gives life to the physical substance of which the scriptures state that once it entered into the nostrils of man he became a living soul according to genesis 2 7. consequently If the breath of life uniting with the physical elements produced a soul, then we must draw the conclusion that the soul is made up of breath of life and dust of the earth. This would mean that the soul is made up of two distinct and different elements. The physical part of the soul can be traced to the dust of the earth, as we have already. Discuss. Let us now trace the breath of life. The the other part of the soul. As we pointed out earlier in our discourse, the Hebrew word for life comes from Chaya, Chaya, C H A I, Chaya. In Greek, and and. In the Greek, an equivalent word for chaya is zo. Is zo. In Hebrew, is chaya, C-H-A-I, and in Greek, it would be zo, Z-O-E. That would be life. It is from this word we get our word, zoology, which is the science of life or the study of life. When we trace the breath of life, which is in man, it comes from Elohim's spirit, and Elohim spirit comes from himself. It is Elohim's spirit that was breathed into man to give him the pure life of himself. Job said it this way. If we turn to Job, Chapter 27, verse 3. Here's what Job says. Job 27, verse 3. Job said, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of Elohim is in my nostrils. And then in Job 33, 4, he says, the spirit of El has made me and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth me life. And then he says in Job 34, verses 14 and 15, he says, If he should sit against him, his heart, his spirit, and his inspiration into himself, he should withdraw all flesh together, would cease to breathe, and the earthborn unto dust would return. So here, Job. And Elihu points out that Elohim's spirit is is in man is a distinct and different composition than that he is capable of being separated from the flesh of which comes from the dust of the earth. Moreover, Paul also picks up on this same theme of the spirit and the flesh of man. So when we turn to to Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, here's what Paul says. He said, for the word of Elohim is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Here it speaks about the word of Yah as it were a scaffold. And being of such, it has the power to divide the components of man's nature. Let us notice the various divisions of which the scaffold of the word of Yah can divide. Here Paul continues to say that the word of Elohim can pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the moral. So when we read in 4.12, he is saying that the word can separate all of the components that man is made of. He can separate his soul. And we know that the soul is made out of the the, uh, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. He can separate that. He said he can separate uh, not only the spirit and the soul, but the joints and the moral. So When he speaks concerning dividing the soul and the spirit, we are to understand soul and spirit from the context of which Moses gives us in Genesis 2-7. When he says that Elohim breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, it is dust of the earth of which man was formed out of that of which Elohim breathed into, and when he breathed into man, he united with uh, him to make him a living soul. Therefore, if the soul is divided, it naturally would follow that when it is divided, the two components we have are the material substance and the breath. The material substance we refer to as the physical being and his breath refers to his spiritual being. So the physical and the spiritual nature of man was affected when Adam and Eve partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Elohim told them that if they ate of this tree, they would die in the day that they ate. Now the day Adam and his wife partook of the forbidden, the process of death immediately began, and when it started, then the deterioration of their bodies began to go down, because Elohim says in the day in which they were to, in the day in which they partook of the fruit. He said, "In that day, they would they would they would die." And so, when we look at that, we have to analyze what what was being what was being said and done uh, when they were to die in the same day in which they ate of the fruit. So, the day of which Yah said they would die wouldn't be a twenty-four hour day, but rather. A day in the mind of Yahuwah would be a thousand years. Because when we read in Second Peter, in Second Peter, we are told in verse in, in chapter three, Second Peter, chapter three, and verse eight, here's what the book of Petra or the Book of Peter says. It says, But beloved. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with Yahuwah as a thousand years and a thousand years as, it, as one day. So here when we read in the book of Peter, chapter 3 and verse 8, uh, Peter says a thousand years with Elohim is as a day and a day is as a, as a thousand years. He reiterates that twice to get us to understand that when Elohim talks about a day, he's talking about a thousand years. So the life of Adam was shy of 70 years of being a thousand years Oh, He didn't live a thousand years. Therefore, he didn't live a full day. As Elohim said, the day you eat thereof, you should surely die. And before a thousand years expired, which was a day he died sin affected the longevity of the life of the spirit in the flesh thus eternal life was forfeited for the once holy couple now that we have dealt with the pneumatical dichotomy let us now concern ourselves with what we refer to as the mental separation of which we are called the psychological we'll call the psychological dichotomy. So let us look at the psychological dichotomy. And as we uh, go into that, we want to preface our remarks by turning to Genesis chapter 2. And we want to look at a few verses there as we deal with the psychological dichotomy. Okay, that's Genesis chapter 2. And we're looking at verses 19 and 20. And hear what the scripture says. He said, and out of the ground, Jehoah Elohim formed man of the beast, formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and helped me for him. So when we look at the psychological dichotomy along with the, the uh, physical and the spiritual uh, dichotomy, in this, in the science of the man, of which we call psychology, I find a wonderfully <clears throat> phenomenal occurrence with the mental faculties. Our mind or psychological faculties comes from our spirit. As we pointed out earlier, that uh, when we dealt with the spirit, it carries the life and the mind. It carries the living substance and also our capacity to, to think and to learn. The pneumatical nature of Adam and his psychological nature are one and the same. In the breath of life is life and the cognition of a person. Could we say in Elohim's spirit is both life and reasoning? Or should we say in Yah's thinking is his spirit? Now, when we turn to the book of Romans, when we turn to the book of Romans, and in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, and we consider verse six. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now you notice how Paul connects the man and the spirit together. He said to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay. But we've already un- understood that. The man and the spirit are one in the same. One comes out of the other. So Paul speaks of being spiritually minded or, spirit or spiritually minded life. What is quite interesting is that one of the Hebrew words for thinking is, is demar, demar. And demar is spelled D-A-M-A-H, demar. Interestingly, with just a little imagination, we can see just by adding an elif, which we call an A, we get the word Adomar. Now, if you remember in one of our studies, we dealt with Adomar, which carries the meaning of country, earth, ground, or land if we can locate the word Ma, which means to think in the word adomar, in the word adomar, which means the earth, okay? So when we look at adomar, would this, would not this mean that Elohim put a lot of thought into Mother Earth? So Mother Earth carries the word thinking within it. You see, the word Adoma, it means Mother Earth. It's a feminine word. So we call it the Mother Earth. But if you take the A off of Adoma, you have the word Dama. And Dama carries the, the, the respective meaning of thinking or thoughts. So if thinking is in the word for earth and in both of these respective words, dema and adamah, we have housed in them the word dam. We can also see in adamah and also damah, we can see the word dam, which means blood. Moreover, it was the spirit or the breath of Elohim that gave life to the blood of Adam. When Adam transgressed, his psychological faculties were severed from Elohim's primordial man. Man now not only thought good, but now he thinks evil. Evil thinking means evil blood, And since blood represents life, evil blood means an evil life. Imperial life comes from our thoughts. It comes from our thoughts. That's that's where it comes from. Okay, let us turn to Genesis. Let us turn to Genesis. And in Genesis, we want to look at Genesis chapter uh, 6. And we want to concentrate on verse number 5. Okay, so they sinned it affected their minds. Okay. Now here in Genesis 6 in verse 5 it says, and Elohim saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually, continually. Okay. So He says that when Elohim saw that the wickedness of man, now the word for man in this text of scripture is Adam. However, at this period of human history, the first Adam was no longer in existence. If the word Adam is continuously being used after Adam ceased to be in existence, this would mean at least two things. First, The usage of the word Adam after he went off the stage of action would mean that we are all Adams in the sense that we came from him. And the second thing that concerns us about the usage of the word Adam is that his fallen nature corrupted the entire human race from his time to ours, so when we look in in the in the book of First uh, Corinthians, let us turn to First First Corinthians, and we want to look at the fifteenth chapter, and we wanna look at verse number twenty-two to see what happened in the that in the uh, psychological dichotomy. Okay. now here in the 15th chapter in verse 22, it tells us, for as in Adam all die, even so in the Messiah shall all be made alive. So in other words, what Adam did is passed upon the whole human race. If he died, all would die. Okay. And so uh, that was one of the plights of what he ate of the forbidden. And it contaminated the contaminators of blood, it alienated the spirit, his, his flesh, and also it 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 got his mind. Okay, now <clears> one <throat> of the some of the things that we must look at uh, when Adam's mind was was affected. Okay, now we want to turn to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. And we look at some laws that took place within creation, not only the creation of the earth, but also in man. We're going to try to examine this, okay? Now, when we look in Genesis chapter 1, and we look at number verse 11, the Bible says, "He uh, said, and Elohim said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed was in itself upon the earth, and it was so, okay? So he said, let the earth bring forth the grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree after his kind, okay? Then we look at verse 12, it says, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. And then we use, verse 21 it says and elohim created the great wells and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind and elohim saw that it was good and then we go to verse 24 it said and elohim said let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind cattle and creeping thing and the beast Of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And verse 25 said, And Elohim made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and Elohim saw that it was so. In other words, he's saying that everything Yah created reproduced after his kind. Man, who was created in the image and the life of his creator, would have continued. To do so if he hadn't transgressed. For we notice in Genesis chapter 26, I mean, in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27 says, And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the earth, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, so Elohim created man in his own image, in the image of Elohim created he, him, male and female created he, them. So in other words, what we're saying here basically is that they were created in the image of Elohim, and had not they sinned, they would have continued to reproduce children in the likeness of Elohim, because it says everything reproduces after its kind. However. After transgression, by partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we now reflect a nature of good and evil because we are reproducing after Adam's kind. We now have two minds, which we call the double mind, which is the mind of Yehoah and the mind of the serpent. Paul speaks... Of this dichotomy of our man's in the book of Romans, let us turn back to the Romans and look at this dichotomy of the man. Okay, in Romans we want to look at chapter seven this time. Romans chapter seven, and we want to look at verses. We'll start at verse 19. He's talking about the dichotomy of the man, and here in 19, I believe to about you know 23, he said, "For the good that I would do, I do not." But the evil which I would not that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of Elohim after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my man and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul points out to us that we all possess within us this dichotomy of man, of good and evil. Throughout our life in this world, we will carry both good and evil until We've fully been fully redeemed from our carnal nature, there will be this continuous warfare between our man of good and evil. Now, let us return back to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six. Now, when we look in Genesis chapter six, and we go back to the verse that we were dealing with in verse number five. Here it says, and Elohim saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continuously. Now, when we look at this uh, text further, it states that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." Here, we in this passage of scripture can see what we call a psychological profile. Let us examine this psychological profile. The psychological profile is this. Here we notice in Genesis 6-5 that we are given a protocol as to how the mental process works We notice that here that our imagination comes from our thoughts and our thoughts comes from our heart. Now, if we want to create what we would refer to as a psychological equation, it would be thusly, the heart of a person is equal to the thoughts and imaginations. Now, let us analyze the words of this equation. The heart comes from the Hebrew word live, L-E-V, live. This word live is also translated in our Bible as man. So when we look at the heart, we're looking at the man. Now, from this analogy, heart and man would be synonymous. Okay. Heart and man are synonymous. The word for thought falls in the realm of reasoning, thinking, in that category, interestingly, is the fact that both the Hebrew word Greek and Greek, respectively, incorporate words in their language, which means the same. In the Hebrew and Greek, one of their words for reason is Debar and "logos." You see, now, when you deal with reasoning, in hebrew one of their words they use for reasoning or in, intelligence they use the word dabar d a b a r dabar and then when you lose uh, uh uh the reasoning in the greek language they come up with the word logos which means to reason and we get our word logical from the word logos as well so in hebrew is dabar and in greek it is logos these two respective words actually mean word they actually mean word so we know that yeshua declared himself to be the word elohim is also the word because he speaks the word consequently when adam breached the covenant it caused an alteration of the man to now have thoughts of good and evil thus reflecting the tree they were forbidden to partake of. Now, we're going to stop there and maybe some questions, observations, insights that you like to share as we have tried to cover the topic, the alienation associations.
0: Okay, again, what were the two components of the spirit?
2: Uh, that
1: was the... The... uh this you're talking about this the uh the academies, uh, the the pneumatical uh and the psychological is that what you're talking about? Uh, the, the, the pneumatical dichotomy and the psychological dichotomy one was life and the other was the mind. Okay, yeah, the life and the mind, uh, okay, like the life. The life come from the spirit, and the spirit also have the psychological, which is the man.
0: Did Yahuwah just breathe the breath and the life, the breath of life, into just man, or what about some of his other beings like the beast and also possibly the angels?
1: Now you're saying did he breathe into them the breath of life?
0: yeah or was it that's just man who he breathed breathed the breath of life into
1: well when i when I study it, it uh, looked like he took the time to make man differently because he was making him in his image uh-huh. and he said, breathe it to the nostrils the breath of life. But now what I read here is this uh if you want to turn to Genesis uh, chapter chapter one, okay. And when you when you read in here, uh, especially when dealing with the creatures, it says, and in verse 20, it says, and Elohim said that the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life and fowl that they may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, it looks like the fish and the fowls, (laughs) he didn't really take the time to breathe into them the breath of life. I think his word, there's his word that said it mm-hmm. made it possible he spoke it. he spoke it and it was done okay mm-hmm. now then he says in verse 21 and elohim created the great wells and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after his kind and every wing fowl after the can and he saw that it was good and elohim blessed them saying be fruitful multiply and uh fill the waters and the seas. And, let the fowl multiply in the earth. Okay. All right. I guess the point I'm trying to bring out I don't see anywhere that he took them individually or and breathed into their nostrils. He seemed like he spoke it and they received the life that they needed. Okay. And this may be one of the reasons why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, he says, the, uh, when when a beast die, their spirit go back to the earth, but when man dies, it goes back to the creator who gave it. And that might be one of the reasons why he said that, because he himself uh, stooped down and breathed into man. And so he said, when man died, it go back to him who gave it, whereas he just spoke to the beast and they became living forms of life. But when they died, the spirit go back to the earth. So. Until I can get a further explanation, I, I don't think he breathes into the nostrils the same way that he did at dawn.
0: Okay. Now, my other question, too, is that uh, you mentioned that about the spirit and the soul of a mm-hmm. man. Are those two different things, the spirit and the soul? And if they are, how do you differentiate the two?
1: Yeah, I was trying to point out that when the Apostle Paul said that the spirit can divide the, you know, the soul and the joints and all of that,
2: uh-huh.
1: is, that is that the soul, when you really like the it soul, there are three components to the soul. Actually, there are two, but I'm going I'm to point out three. Uh-huh. When you got the soul, you got the physical being, and then you got the spiritual being, okay? Okay, now, if you take the physical being by itself and the spiritual being by itself, they... Those are two components, but when you take the spiritual component, which is the breath of life, and the physical component, which is the earth, and you combine it, now you got a soul. Okay. So the soul is made up of two components, but I'll say three in the sense that you got the physical and the spiritual, but when they are combined, you make a third component of the merging of of the two, Uh but basically all you have is just the physical and the spiritual. But they call it a soul when the two comes together.
0: Okay. All right. Very interesting on the uh, the alienation associations.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the alienation association that that was all caused when Adam um, ate of that which was forbidden, and his life became polluted with sin.
0: Wow. All right.
2: Up next is Let's Talk About That.
0: We like to welcome you again to our new segment, the Let's Talk About That. And today I want to talk about something. And how kind of it relates to the scriptures. As you know, a lot of the nation is, especially African-Americans or Negro Americans, are upset with the killing of another one of our people, Dwayne Wright. At the same time, we see the George Floyd cases going on. And I hear from a lot of people of color, or supposed Negroes, that... They wonder why is this happening to us as a people? You know, I hear this question a lot, and I believe that a lot of the answers lie in Scripture. So, what I'm going, what the question I want to ask uh, you, Pastor, is: Is it possible that the Negro people, not just here in America, but in the Afro Brazilians? Afro Colombians, Jamaicans, uh, Afro Caribbeans—Are they part of the tribes of Israel?
1: Well, I guess uh, first of all, uh, when you when you trace your genealogies or your ancestry, uh, you can probably get a general idea. You know, uh, from that, a lot of people today. They're doing a lot of research into uh, their family lineage. I can't say. I can't say offhand uh, who's from where. I don't want to be too simplistic. And a lot of the DNA testing that they have today, that they are discovering that even in africa afro-americans as well as caucasians mm-hmm. and hispanics and other groups uh they have some links uh not only to people in europe but also in africa as well so i don't want to be too simplistic is just, just to say who is who mm-hmm. because uh even in my own uh genetic makeup i'm not even sure you know uh if I'm intermingled or, or or things of that sort. But what I would say is that there are scriptural hints and scriptural facts that have been articulated mm-hmm. that we believe that as we look at these facts and align them with what the Bible says, that we do we do have some links with the original people which were which which are the hebrews uh that came from from the line of shem mm-hmm. and when we look at those particular uh links then i think we can definitely say that of all the people of the earth that we definitely fit a lot of those descriptions now if you if you turn into uh the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. Okay. Now, when you look in, in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what we notice here in verse uh in 28th, in the first verse, what we notice it says, and it should come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of Jehovah thy Elohim to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day that that Yehoah thy Elohim will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Okay, so here he's given a promise if you keep his word that you're going to be above all of the nations on the earth. Yeah. Okay. 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 Now the next thing you want to look at is verse 15. Mm-hmm. If you look at Verse 15 of the same 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, he said, But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of yehoah thy Elohim to observe all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now in both these verses, uh uh what we can see is that he talked about the blessings and the cursings. Yes and One of the curses was that if they didn't obey the covenant, uh, that he would scatter them, uh, in different parts of the earth. Yeah. Okay. And we find that no matter where you go on on the planet is that you can find some of us and even Marcus Garvey, Mm -hmm. when he was looking at the plight of the darker, darker race, and we call it Africa, but the Bible calls it the land of Ham. Mm -hmm. We see that from the land of Ham that uh, the dark people have been scattered to the four corners of the earth. they in China, Switzerland, wherever they go, you'll find us. And what Marcus Garvey was puzzled by, he said everywhere that he had gone, Mm -hmm. that it seems like the people of the darker race, that they were being mistreated. And he was trying to put it together. Mm -hmm. And you find that many of our leaders, you know, they are still puzzled by this. But we know that when we read scripture that one of the things that was a curse upon his people, that if they went away from the covenant promises, this would this would happen. Yeah. Are we saying that the brutality that we experience should be? No, we're not saying that. But Mm -hmm. what we are saying and what the Bible is saying is that these things would happen. He prophesied it. And so this means one or two things. It means that those who are put in the punishment up, uh, uh, upon those who are supposed to be his people. Then they they may not be aware of the covenant promises that they could have been aware of if we had kept them, but we didn't yeah. keep them. So we become a victim of it. And then the second thing is 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 that if we are broken away from the covenant, then it seems like to me we would come back to his covenant and as a result when we come back to his covenant we may not still get digested because the people on the other side of the fence they don't know his covenant anyway True. but it does but 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 it does give us a shield of protection to know that if we are with his covenant he won't allow anything to happen to us other than what's going to give him glory you know yeah you see when when they did this, when they when they hung many of us in slavery, and they like they're shooting us down in the street. Even now, uh, we know that the Bible says, "They that hangs on a tree is a curse." Mm-hmm. And so when Yeshua hung on that tree, he hung on that tree as a curse for us.
0: Wow.
1: And as the judicial system in Rome was not fair to Yeshua. Even the judicial system today is not fair to the black man. So when we look at all of this, we have to say no other people has been treated as we have been treated. So we must be the true and the original people, but we must come back to the covenant. And if we could, if we rightly come back to the covenant, then Elohim will be in a position to fight for us. But if we don't come back to the covenant then, and we are saying other people are wrong, then Elohim saying, well, how can I be able to fight for you when you are also doing wrong?
0: True. So that is true
1: the thing that we have to do is come back to his covenant and if we should die under his covenant that's one thing but if we die outside of his covenant how can we say things are unjust because he've already said in his word we will be blessed if we do and we'll be cursed if we don't
0: true yeah and i know just um say if we were looking outside of the bible just some from some of the things i've read and studied that during the time of slavery and when some of these uh, explorers went out and created uh, maps that the, it was labeled in a particular area in Africa with a slave coast, that it was the tribe of Judah uh-huh. um, that was labeled in that region. And then when they have taken some of the DNA, I believe from the tribe of uh, in Nigeria, the Ebo tribe, they were saying that a lot of their DNA dates back to the Hebrews back then uh-huh. and all. And so, you know, we see that his word is true because uh, those people were scattered to the four corners, like right. He said. And also, I don't think we fully know the timetable, but how it was, I believe, Abraham that Yahuwah told that uh, it was going to be a, some people from his line that was going to be oppressed for what 400 years correct am i mm-hmm. correct yeah yeah 400
1: 430 years somewhere around there
0: and this is another thing i wonder cuz you know you talked about it a little bit today about 1000 uh day with what with no 1000 years equal one day
1: yeah with Elohim. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: so i'm wondering because we always count the 400, is God time also like that when it comes to the 400, where it may be like 4,000, as opposed to actual 400 years?
1: Well, I I don't have any data, you know, to point out the 400 years, but what I would say is that when Adam was on earth, men lived much longer time. Yeah. And even though they sinned, they were still uh, living up to be, you know, 900, 800, 700, 600, 500. And if a person lives today to be 50, they live one-tenth of the time a person lived 500 years. And if a person lived 90, they live in one-tenth, of a person, you know, that may have lived uh, uh, nine hundred years. Uh-huh. So, uh, when you look at the life expectancy, I think when he was talking about uh, a day in a thousand years, uh-huh. he was more or less uh, attributing that to the life expectancy of a of of a person here who was first created through that particular, uh, what I would say, time, because in our time, I I would think that the average person probably lived maybe about 80 or 90 years. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if he was talking about a generational curse or he was talking about uh, the generation back then, Mm-hmm. And how long they live because if we try to make it four thousand years, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that prophecy that he gave for Abraham would would be inclusive of of uh, of making a day a thousand years and it'd be four thousand. Okay. I I'm not sure if that was that was in that particular prophecy.
0: Okay. And uh one other question about Israel is does Israel have a role to play in the salvation of other nations?
1: Yeah, well, uh let me let me let me let me, let me probably explain it this way. Uh when when you when you consider Israel, uh, you know, and you trace Israel back to the to its beginning to Jacob, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and then when you chase Jacob's beginning back to Isaac, and we take Aztecs back to Abraham. Now, when Abraham came on the scene of action, he came from the era of the Chaldeans. And where he came from, they were moon worshipers and they worship celestial bodies. Mm-hmm. So, El, so Elohim told Abraham, he says, Abraham, leave this place. You know, he told him to leave. I think he was about 75 years of age when he left. And he had to leave all of that adulterous uh, practices and and, and everything. Uh, But what he was telling Abraham to do uh, was to get out of there so he can worship the true Elohim. Because when you read the scriptures, it explicitly said that Abraham was a friend of Elohim. And one of the reasons why he was a friend of Elohim, because the Bible says he knew Abraham, that Abraham would keep his statues and his so, this is one of the reasons why we know that if he kept his statues and the laws, then when Moses rewrote the statues and the laws as a result of getting them from Mount Sinai when Elohim spoke to him, that Abraham was already keeping that stuff. Okay. But when they got so far away from it and they eventually ended up as slaves or uh, being enslaved down in Egypt, then they kind of lost sight of the statues and the covenants and all of that. So, when he got them out of Egypt, he took Moses up into the mount, and when he took him at the mount, he gave back to him to reiterate the things that they should do. And one of the purposes of Abraham when he went around, uh, Abraham was to give the gospel or he was to give the covenant to the people that he came in contact with. Mm-hmm. That's why it was so crucial that he told the truth when he traveled, that when he was going around talking about his sister and all that he was showing a lack of faith in Elohim because Elohim would have protected him, which he did even uh, when his wife was taken. And he told the Pharaoh or the one that was over the empire, if you touch her, then I'm gonna close up all of the wounds in your empire. And when, when the king got the message about that, he called Abraham in and he said, you told us this was your sister. He said, well, in a way she is, which he was right. He said, but this is your wife and you knew what I was talking about. So he was, uh, uh, Abraham was not living up to the covenant. But one of the things that Elohim wanted him to do wherever he went is to live up to the covenant. Mm -hmm. This is why when when Adam was created, he and Eve, that their whole purpose was to have offspring. And when they had the offspring to teach them about Elohim. But when they sinned, Then another dimension of salvation came in, and he still had the same intention, that the offspring would be taught of him, and that was the whole purpose. And then I understand that Enoch, he was specially chosen, and he did the work of Elohim so good that Elohim took him before he died. So I think he was about 365 years old, and he, he was taken from this world because he walked with Elohim. And the book of Jude talks about Enoch. He was the seventh from Adam and he proclaimed the truth. And that was what Elohim wanted to do that each generation that came, he wanted that generation to pass it to the next generation. And that's what Abraham did. And and he did it to Isaac and Isaac passed it down to Jacob. And then when Jacob had the 12 tribes of Israel, then they were to teach that to them. And then the 12 tribes of Israel was to teach it to the world. And so when Yeshua came, then that's why he was looking for the lost sheep of Israel, because he was saying that this is what he had come to do to save the lost uh, tribes of Israel. Why was he going to do that?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When the Syrophoenician woman came to him to get a blessing, he says, I didn't come for you. I came from, I came to get the lost tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And what he's trying to tell her is that the lost tribes of Israel, that's what I come for. But since he insisted, he still blessed her. But what he's trying to emphasize, uh, the reason why I'm coming for the lost tribes of Israel, these are the original people that I've given my covenant to. Mm-hmm. And if I can get, get them together, then they can again begin to go to the world and teach the world about the covenant that, that I have. But I want to do this first with the lost tribes of Israel. And today we are finding that the lost tribes of Israel, they are coming back together. We are slowly coming back into the knowledge. And if we would come completely into the knowledge, people in Australia, people in Africa, people in Switzerland, people in America, people in South America, and people in China, and all of these people that are scattered over all of the earth when they come together, then when they start keeping the covenant, then the world would see that this covenant is still binding. And then they have a chance to be a part of the covenant covenant or not. But he intends for Israel to get a hold of the covenant and teach the other nations. That was the whole purpose. How you put them on earth. This is why Yeshua told a woman at the well. He says, "We know what we believe." He says, "Salvation is of the Jews." In other words, he gave the Jews, he gave them the salvation mission to give to the world.
0: Yeah, because you know, I guess one of the things I look at in Deuteronomy 28 was that if Israel had never uh, reneged on the covenant, they would be the, I would say, the standard bearer where nations would look to them and say, you know, look how Yahuwah has blessed them. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think that's why Yahuwah was so angry with, with our people was because we were doing what other nations was doing and not being the example we were supposed to be to other nations.
1: Well, that's correct because when you're reading the book of Deuteronomy, one of the reasons why he gave them the blessings, he said, because the other nations would look at you and, and say, You are a wise and understanding people.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, that's what he gave it to be a, a witness to the nations. Yeah. But time after time they failed. And today we're still doing the same thing. So well, when will we ever come back to doing what he says?
0: Yeah. But maybe with uh, some of the ones that are coming back into the light, you know, hopefully they will see things. Uh, and, you know, as they return to the covenant mm-hmm. and that we can move forward in representing y'all like we our ancestors was supposed to have done years prior. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing about it is is that uh, in each age uh, he has been able to try to call out his people
2: mm-hmm.
1: in, each, in, in each age and no doubt in each age that has come upon th- this earth in every generation he may have a remnant of people that he's going to bring out because of the fact that they try to follow everything that, that he has said and then Maybe in some generations you probably may get more people than in others. In others you may, you know, just get less, less people. Yeah. But the fact is that when you look at uh Noah, he didn't only the only, only people he could get out of that generation was eight people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was that was his family. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to Abraham, Abraham he influenced quite a few people in his lifetime. And then when he went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot was about the only few he could get out of that generation down when Lot was out in, in, about Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And so as time went on, each generation, he was trying to get the prophets and his people, his kings and all of that to obey his covenant. And most of the kings were corrupt. But you had a few like Asa. He was going pretty good at one time, but he didn't really trust the Elohim even though he did some good things. And you look at Josiah, he tried to get the people back on track. Hezekiah tried to get them back on track. But all of all of the people continued to backslide. Yeah, And so he could only get a few. And so in our last generation, he's still trying to get that remnant out of the earth that he can call 144,000. And they can continue the work until Yeshua comes. But the whole idea is come back to the covenant.
0: Now, for those who don't know, before we wrap this up, what does returning to the covenant entails?
1: Well, as we've been studying, uh, basically, uh, when you look at the covenant in its basic, uh, fundamental, simplistic look, is if you obey, you live. If you disobey, you die. Now, when Adam had it, he says, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. But if you don't, you will live. That became the basis of the covenant. So when Moses got the covenant, it was still the same thing. He says, if you obey me, you're going to be blessed and you're going to have life. Same thing he was telling Adam and Eve, but maybe just slightly different words. And then he said, "If you disobey, you're gonna be cursed and you're gonna have death." And so basically, the covenant is basically coming back to doing what Elohim said. You see, and this is why when Saul, the first king, when he disobeyed the covenant, Elohim had to let him go, and he got David, and David followed in the covenant that Elohim gave. And then David wanted to build a house. And it's interesting that what he wants to do, what did he want to do? He told Elohim that he want to have a place for him to dwell. Mm-hmm. And he knew that he couldn't house Elohim because he was too big. But he said, I want a place for your name to be there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the main thing that he wants to do is to take the Ark of the covenant and to put it in a place other than the tent. This is why he was going to have Solomon to build the tabernacle. And one of the greatest things that was going to be in the tabernacle that Solomon built was the Ark of the Covenant. Because when they built it, he brought the old Ark of the Covenant and he put it in there. So the Ark of the Covenant is where Elohim was. And within the Ark of, the reason why they called it the Ark of the Covenant, because this covenant was in the Ark. And when he got the covenant in the ark, it told you what you should and should not do. Yeah. That was the covenant. It's like most people talk about they got a, you know, got a religion. Elohim never gave us a religion. He yeah. gave us a covenant. Because if, if, if he gave us a religion, I, I, I would join that religion. I don't know. I don't know of a religion he gave us. Yeah, true. There's, there's no religion that he gave anybody. Yeah, a Religion is man-made. He gave us a covenant. And when we get that covenant, we become his covenant people. And Israel is not a religion. Israel is a people. And these people carry his covenant. So when we got his covenant, then that means if we obey, we live. We disobey, we die. That's what the covenant is. And so when we get to reading into his word, we be, we begin to discover many things in his covenant. And it keeps us busy day and night meditating day and night on his word to see what his covenant says and as we meditate on his covenant his covenant teaches us about his annual feast days his weekly feast days and it teaches us about tithe and offering it teaches us many things in his covenant
0: sounds good well can you give us take us to the throne in prayer before we wrap this podcast up for this week
1: okay Oh, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we can begin to talk about the effects and the alienations, associations that sin caused when Adam and his wife breached the covenant. And as we have breached the covenant also, we're sorry for what we did, and so we ask for your forgiveness. And as we look over the land, oh, Heavenly Father, we see a lot of atrocities among the people of color. And it's not by design, O Heavenly Father, of human nature to do this. There's a serpent that is still speaking to the hearts of men, causing them to do the disturbances that they are doing. But at the same time, O Heavenly Father, we need to put up a shield of protection by getting behind your word. If Adam and Eve had sta- stood behind your word rather than accepting the word of the usurper, they probably wouldn't have suffered the things that they did and all of the alien nations, they were alienated from their creator. They were alienated in their own personal being, mentally, physically, and spiritually. They were separated. And even their social relationship with one another, Adam and Eve, that relationship was broken as well. And they began to blame one another for sin. And so we ask, O Heavenly Father, that as we look at what caused the separation which was the breaking of your covenant that we might ask for the blood of yeshua that can cover all of our sins and to be able to by faith unite us back with the father that we can continue to study and to do your covenant and as we walk through this world lord that we can realize that your covenant can give us more protection oh heaven father than the weapons that we form in order to try to protect ourselves and so we would ask so father that those who have experienced the atrocities, O Lord, of the death, that those who are supposed to keep the law, that you would comfort those families at this time and give them your comfort and peace, and to do for them that which is needed. And, all Father, as we continue to listen to your podcast, that the power of the Holy Spirit may help us to be able to keep your covenant and to teach others about that covenant. And as we do this, we can be able to spread your covenant among thy people and as they get up under the covenant, you can give them the protection that they need. And most of all, oh, Heavenly Father, even if they were in your covenant and they should die in this world, they can look forward to the resurrection of your eternal covenant, oh, Heavenly Father, that would give them life, that would measure with the life of Elohim himself throughout eternity. Is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for His just like we do pray. Amen. Amen.
0: And amen. amen. Before we go we want you to head over to our website at scicov.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com. There on the front page, it only going to take you less than 10 seconds. We got two questions. We want to know what days, if you are a regular listener, what days, if we were to come on live, that would be more better for you to listen to our podcast live. And during when we do decide to launch a live podcast. You will be able to call in and leave your comments, ask questions, and contribute to the show. So please, just go over to psychove.com. Only going to take less than 10 seconds. Submit your answers to the question. You're all done. Well, that is our podcast for this week. We want to encourage you to follow our podcast weekly. Feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com with your questions or comments. But the mercy of Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as to guard his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Until next week, shalom.